0: Hello, and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. I'm here today with Simon Bedard, and he's the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group, a boutique M&A firm in Australia. This also provides a range of advisory services focused on exit strategies and maximizing company value. Simon's experience spans over 20 years in the finance, investment, energy, and technology sectors. As an entrepreneur, Simon has started, bought, and exited companies. He's also had significant experience in the corporate sector, including one of Australia's largest banks in their institutional banking and global markets division. Simon's also the host of Buy, Grow, Sell, the podcast for entrepreneurs looking to acquire, grow, or exit a business. Welcome to the show. I'm glad to have Mm -hmm. you here, Simon. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Cool. Well, you know, I always start off, if you've heard my show, all my listeners know, I want to know your background story, kind of who is Simon, what got you into this industry? You know, why are you here today? Like, you know, tell us tell us a little bit about kind of how you got here.
1: Yeah, cool. So, um, well, I'll try to give you the abridged version here. So, um, look, I, I started my career, my business life, I guess, um, certainly in the corporate space, but in the investment world, um, you know, as you mentioned there, worked at, uh, in an institutional banking, very large, high net worth clients, helping them invest. Uh, I, th- I think the principle of what I was doing, though, you know, is, is really focused on this, you know, if you want to put a dollar into something and you want to get $2 out later, like something's actually got to happen in the middle there for this to eventuate, right? So I think I always was focused on this idea of building value. And so um, I finished up my time there, um, you know, the big recession back in 2008. Um, went off and, you know, what do you do when you've you know, you've got a young boy, your wife's six months pregnant, you're no longer working in your job because you took redundancy. Well, of course, you start a business, right? Because, you know, <laughs> you might as well take on more risk and more concern. And so um, we did that and we went into a completely different space because we were – Ron, not just looking for something to, be, um, you know, to pay the bills. We wanted to do something that we could believe in and be passionate about. And so we, we went into the renewable energy and sort of environmental space, um, you know, I guess early kind of adopters of that whole area. And you know, back in the day when a tiny solar system cost you 20 grand. Um, <laughs> so we, we started a business. We ended up buying into another business to help us grow and expand quickly. Um, and we sort of built that up a bit and sold, out, sold off a couple of years later um i did actually end up back in corporate for a little while um, basically running a division here for a multinational um and you know about three years into that decided i really needed to get out and do my own thing again i think you know once you i think for anybody who's really kind of run a business for themselves it it's a very addictive thing and it's uh it's kind of hard to roll with corporate politics after that when you've kind of had had the ability to shed all that in your past so um so, we started on a bit of a journey um, to go and buy a business. Um, my wife and I had sort of chatted about it and agreed that startups were way too hard, like, let's not go down that path again. <laughs> and so, I, we started on this 18-month journey of looking for a business to buy. And so, it was uh, it was a new new thing for us, really. I mean, we'd bought into another business. We'd never gone on the hunt to find something new. It was kind of that was previous deals in our, our own space. So, um and and i guess that 18 month journey you know i I guess our approach to that was very much around we didn't have a specific industry you know we were looking for we were kind of industry agnostic it was more about well what's the right model and and how do we get into the right kind of business for us and uh and it was that journey you know this journey of trying to avoid doing startups where we actually found our next startup so um you know as life often has it so um, you know, really, I guess the nexus for the business we're in came from that journey because we, look, we engaged with a lot of business brokers and we talked to a lot of advisors out there. And and look, you know, without wanting to be sort of negative here, I mean, I guess we, we found there was, we weren't a little bit underwhelmed, shall we say, with a lot of the things that we saw going on in the market. And I guess what really struck me about all of that was that, I kept thinking about the business owners, the people who owned the businesses that were being sold, and it really—I guess—it really worried me. And maybe it's my background in banking and whatever else, where I knew the kind of um, hoops we'd have to jump through to be able to help a client and man- help manage their funds, you know. And it was, you know, there's there's a lot of responsibility around that. And and I guess when I see business owners, in many cases, their business was probably their largest asset. And that asset was not being represented to the standards that I believe they should have been. I just was outraged, to be frank. I just saw there was something really wrong with what was going on in the market. Um, you know, I think business owners deserve better than that. I'm, you know, I don't know. Call me, call me old school here, but I, I'm one of these people that believes that entrepreneurs are the ones who truly change the world. You know, they're the ones who actually see things in society that aren't working as well as they should or there's an injustice around it and they they actually get off their backsides and do something about it. You know, often investing huge amounts of time and money, taking a lot of risk. Um, and sure, you know, a lot of them are very successful and, and earned because of that, you know, and they took that risk and they were successful. But, you know, I just think, you know, for for a lot of the business owners who go through this journey, they deserve to finish well. And And I guess... I just saw that a lot of these business owners, too, were, you know, they've run a marathon. It's, it's, it's this equivalent of running a marathon. You can see the finish line, and that's when you're not looking at what you're doing, and you trip over and break your leg. It, I mean, what a horrible thing to do after all that time and energy. And so, you know, spending some time looking at all this stuff, it really dawned on me that there's so much information out there about how to start a business and how to grow a business but there wasn't enough people talking about how to how to finish and how to exit well, and so that really became the nexus for our business exit advisory group. Um, and so I look, I didn't end up finding a business to buy. Um, if I'm truly honest with you, I actually found some great businesses, but. Um, I think perhaps I got a little bit too cute and maybe thought I was better at negotiating than I was and <laughs> we never got, a, <laughs> never got a deal done, right? Because I was probably trying to be too tough on the whole situation. And, and look, maybe that's the universe sort of just telling me that I perhaps wasn't meant to go down that path. But um, in the end, I, I actually didn't rush off and start Exit Advisory Group. Um, I do remember my wife walking into our office one day, and I'd hung up from somebody who I can't even remember who they were now, but they—I was really frustrated with their lack of professionalism. And I looked up at my wife and I said, "Look, you know, if you're willing to do another startup, I've found this industry. We can totally disrupt it. We've just <laughs> got to answer calls and emails and kind of don't be a dick, you know, like it's uh, <laughs> you know, actually respond as as to people, right? Yeah, that's right. I know." treat people with respect and try to understand what their needs are and, and focus on that rather than just what you want out of a situation. And, you know, I guess what I saw going on, Ron, in the, in the broking world is, well, I'm sure you've probably heard and your listeners have heard this expression, you know, if all you've got is a hammer, you treat everything like a nail. Well, if I only get paid when you take a deal, well, good, bad, or indifferent, this is the deal you've got. You should just accept it. And, I just saw a massive injustice in that. And pretty much I was on a mission to change it. So, um, okay. so look, we didn't rush off. Um, I, I, I told my wife that I'm ready to, you know, we could start this business. She looked at me and said, don't be an idiot. We're not doing any more startups um, and walked out. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was the end of 2014. Um, we ended up actually... I quit my job, I finished my MBA, I pulled my kids out of school, rented my house out and we kind of went traveling around Asia for a year. Um, how I convinced my wife to do that is a whole nother podcast <laughs> um, but, but um, we spent a year traveling I did a bit of consulting and really the idea for what is now exit advisory really fermented and you know look we got back back to Australia at the end of 2015, beginning of 2016 got started Had agreed to give it a go. Um, I got licensed as a broker. We started running around trying to talk to everybody because of course we're a startup. We, you know, you need to start earning money. Um, So, Hey, we can almost do everything for anyone. And of course you realize like most businesses that you can't actually please everybody all the time. And you start to, you know, really need to focus on what is your core service and what is your core offering. Um, And, and I guess, in those early years, um, we, yeah, of course, you're licensed, you start selling businesses. That's the first thing we did. But but I guess what we really noticed early on was that we'd have business owners coming to us saying, Hey, Simon, can you help? I'm, I'm ready to sell. Can you help me? And of course, you'd look under the hood of the business and realize very quickly that while they'd made a decision that they were ready to sell, their business wasn't really ready to sell. And in a lot of cases, even they, personally weren't ready to sell you know they hadn't done the things that they needed to do to get across the finish line properly and so that was this whole experience over those years came ringing home to me that we've got to find a solution to this problem we need to get way out in front of this much earlier and be talking to business owners about how to use the runway they've got to be able to you know make the jet make the jump you know if you're going to cross that gap you better get enough speed up right so um So very quickly, our our business evolved from doing the transactions to which we still do those. But the advisory side of our business was really born. And um, I guess if I could sort of give you an analogy, I mean, the most simple terms of what that advisory looks like is that it's kind of like Google Maps, actually. Like if you pull up Google Maps on your phone... I mean, there's two core things you see on Google Maps, right? It tells you where you are today. You punch in where you want to go. And then it usually gives you a couple of different routes on how to get there, right? Well, our advisory practice is exactly like that. I mean, you know, we do where are you today is, well, it's your business valuation. It's benchmarking. It's all the reasons that sort of triangulate where you are. Then we go through a process of exit planning where we find out where they actually want to go. Now that's, that's kind of where some of the real gold sits because a lot of business owners actually don't know where they want to go. I mean, they've maybe done a bit of a calculation on the back of the napkin and said, Oh, I think I need 5 million bucks, but there's not enough science behind that. And, you know, there's a lot more to thinking about exiting than just money. Um, and we can, we can unpack that a little bit in the show if you like, but you know, fundamentally, where do they want to be? And, and um. You know, ultimately, though, the, the pathways, you know, strategic planning, guidance, coaching, mentoring, all that sort of stuff is how you get from point A to point B, right? Right. Um, and, I, <clears throat> yeah, and I guess just like Google Maps, right? Like the, the options are, you know, hey, you could take the fast route, but you're going to have to invest and pay the tolls. Or you can take the more scenic route and, you know, take a bit more time. So, you know, that's, and just uh, like
0: Google Maps, it'll tell you how long it's going to take you to get there. I get people all the time like, well, I'm thinking about some of my business. How long do you think that's going to take? Like, oh, you just started thinking about it today? And he said, yeah. And I was like, usually two to three years. And I yeah. don't get it. They don't get it. Like, there's a lot to do to make your business. Like, if you want a sellable business yeah. and that appeals to buyers, you can't you can't run it the way you've always run it. Like, as the sole operator, yeah, yeah. you yeah. know. The, and that's just a lot of the smaller guys that you're in the business networking and the different things you run into. And they'll say, well, yeah. I hear you buy and sell businesses. I'm thinking about selling mine. What would it look like to sell? Like, you know, usually two to three years is what I
1: tell them. Yeah, and you're spot on. I mean, I think there's a lot of businesses out there that are fundamentally just a, really a job. Um, you know, they're too small to be defined almost as a business that can be sold because once that person leaves, there is no business. So I think there's obviously different scales here. Um, typically in our business, we we tend to deal with clients that are turning over kind of at least a couple of mil um, up to really about 100 mil. Um, but if you look at the shape of the market, you know, obviously, uh, the bigger they get, the less of them that there are, and let's be honest, the more attractive they are to the big end of town. So, you know, you turn over hundred million, often you're, you know, you've got Deloitte and KPMG or whoever it might be, you know, chasing after you. So, um, we certainly don't need to bash heads with those guys. I mean, we we just we are really comfortable in that space. You know, most of our clients fit in that two to fifty category, um, but um, but yeah, and look, you, you know, different different sets of problems for different kinds of businesses there's a lot of service industries out there pushing close to or at that
0: 1 million that are still, you know, kind of owner operated. So I bumped it up just because there's got it. There's a threshold where it just doesn't make sense for them to, to maintain it. And for the industries I'm looking at, I think it's a little higher. So I'm going to try to looking at that. So what's your experience in that realm? Where's the threshold where like they start to get their act together. Like as a business owner by default starts to get their act together at a certain level. What, What do you think that level is?
1: Do you, do you know, I don't think that, I mean, there are always kind of some rules of thumb around this sort of stuff I find, but, I, but generally speaking, I, they also, for every rule, there's there's also exceptions to the rules. So it's, I don't know if it's the, the maybe the exception is the norm, but um, I, I've got clients who are in that kind of 30 to 40 million turnover space who still don't have a CRM and still don't have basics in place. And I'm like, you guys are kind of successful in spite of yourself, <laughs> um, you know? So it's, it really is funny, you know, and then you'll see, come across little businesses sometimes and they are just so super organized and systemized. And so I, I think, you know, back to the, to the original kind of point here about, you know, if you do want to sell, you've got to kind of start asking yourself, well, what is it that I'm selling? And what am I trying to get out of this experience? Um, and, and, you know, if I can if I can take that even further up, you know, to, to 40,000 feet, I, I actually, I think business owners are often asking themselves the wrong questions, Um, you know, usually they're talking about how do I grow? How do I go? Well, you know, if I'm going to sell, what what can I get for it? The question should actually be, well, what do you want? You know, and what do you need? Um, And I actually don't think that's a business question. I think think that's a human question. Um, um, Sorry, couldn't find the mute button there. So You're good. Um, But, um, you know, I think the real question here is, Look, I don't think any of us are actually born to do business. Business is just this construct that's evolved because of the way we live, live our lives. So the important question here is what kind of life do you want? And, and that pertains to how do you spend your time? What do you do? You know, family priorities, you know, um, you know, once you work that out, well, then we can build a business, you know, to deliver on that promise, right? You know, business, a business should be a vehicle for delivering you the life you want. So work out your life first. <laughs> um, after that, we can reverse engineer, right? And, and I think that's, that's where the exit planning comes in. You know, that's where you're saying, like, what kind of money do I need to live the life I want? What sort of things should I be doing with my time? What kind of legacy do I want to leave on the business, the world around me, my family? Um, you know, they're, they're, they're the big questions to answer. Because, you know, business, you know, as long as I think you're adding value to the world and, you, you know, you, you've, you understand what you do, um, you know, you can find ways to grow businesses.
0: You know, a lot of entrepreneurs, I refer to them as accidental entrepreneurs. Uh, they either saw a, like you, they, they, they didn't intend on doing a startup, but they seen it wrong and wanted to set it right. Right. They, they'd seen something they can improve in the world or they were really good at something. They had a friend that wanted to do, it, you know, Hey, do that for me too. Right? Like marketing is a lot of times they hear this. I was really good at it. I helped my brother grow his business and all of a sudden his friend needed help. And next thing you know, I had 15 clients and I'm a marketing agency. 20 years <laughs> later, I'm ready to sell it. Right. Um, I call them accidental entrepreneurs, but sometimes those are the best ones. And then you're, then you guys, you've got guys. Um, my natural thing is solving problems and wanting to build stuff. So it, it's hard for me not just to go, I'll just create the next thing. Right. But, um, yeah. There's a huge advantage to taking, like you said, the marathon. Uh, You mentioned a marathon earlier that, you know, the business is a marathon. I like to think of it more kind of like a a relay race and stuff. You don't have to run the whole race to win in business. You can grab that baton at the last hundred yards, right? And take something that's well run, well planned, you know, there's a good strategy and just carry it, you know, carry it to the next finish line. And that's how I see this acquisition entrepreneurship is an opportunity for people who are, you know, good with business. If you've never run a business before, I think you ought to get a little help before you go out and buy something. There's some mentors yeah. out there teaching. I'll just teach you how to buy something like, yeah, what are they going to do with it when they buy it? Um, but just because you have money doesn't mean you should spend it on a business. Um, yeah. That said, there's this is a. It's it's gaining uh, speed. I think in the United States alone, there's something like uh, somebody was saying $31 trillion worth of businesses that will change hands over the next 15, 20 years. It's just going to be crazy. Yeah. So yeah. Th- there's an opportunity. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, in this space, if somebody doesn't step up and take those, somebody doesn't like you work with those business owners and get them ready to hand over to the next generation. And then somebody like myself and a lot of our listeners don't take that that baton and run with it, those businesses go away. All that that yeah. legacy, that energy and that time was that was took to get them there just kind of dissipates. It's gone. And yep. uh, yeah. that, that's in my in my
1: space, that's that's a wrong in the world, right? So well, it's interesting you say that because it's um you know the statistics that we've seen around is that you know only about forty five percent of businesses these days even go from gen one to gen two. Um only about eight or nine percent make it to gen three um and 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 it's logical i think in a lot of ways in that you know we're more educated than we've ever been as a society right <laughs> you know the the you know couple who immigrated to australia or, or america and um you know build some business out of nothing and you know just happen to be more successful than the others and turn it into a multi-million sort of turnover business i think in a lot of cases those people saying well i'm going to educate my kids i'm going to give them all the things i never had and you know the the kids all push off to be doctors and lawyers and you know whatever else, but you know they don't—they don't necessarily want to come back to the business that happened to make it all possible in the first place. Um, so there's this sort of disconnect, I think, between the, you know, <laughs> what drives actual value into family and intergenerational wealth, and this perceived idea of what I should be doing with my life. Um, so yeah, but then look, and I think, I think in a lot of ways that's good too. It's nice to have options, and it's good that people can pursue their passions, right? They don't just have to follow in their mother and father's footsteps. But um, but you're right. There is this l- legacy thing here of good quality businesses that are actually doing good in the world. Like w- what's happening to them, you know? Because you certainly don't want to see that stuff, uh, you know, fall by the wayside.
0: And uh, so you know, went to the military, got a college degree, and, and and never looked back. I know that's what's happening to a lot of these. Um, you know, small business owners and stuff. I have a good friend of mine. His he's gone now. He passed away of he a heart attack. His dad and his grandfather created a. It's a tech play. It's a technology company, and they do uh uh. Ana- it's they do analytical reports. They actually report on the industry, second generation, and the son. Um. He 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 actually the funny thing was is he he didn't want anything to do with it, right? So much so that he actually he always was like I'm bad at math, I'm horrible at math, because in their analysis it was a lot, you know, a lot of uh industry and economics and stuff of the chip industry and stuff that's always like you know economics and math. So uh mm-hmm. he kind of developed this story about how bad at math he was. And, uh, before he had his heart attack, he was a diesel crane operator. He was a diesel mechanic, a licensed diesel mechanic and a heavy crane operator. He would climb up you know, like these skyscrapers and run cranes, but you know, nothing that, you know, dad's dad drives Ferraris and electric Porsches and runs a, you know, a multimillion dollar uh, empire that he would have handed over
1: to his son and the son's like, just not interested. So yeah, just doesn't float my boat. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, this question about how people get into the businesses that they're in, and I agree with your your sort of um, examples that you gave earlier. Um, you know, I, I do see a lot of business owners out there who, the accidental entrepreneur, right, the people who kind of stumble into their business. You know, I, I worked for somebody, I was kind of good at this thing, and I got sick of working for them, so I went out and started something you know, um, and, and was good at it. Although what we do find a lot of is that those people are maybe very, very good at that thing they do, but they're not necessarily great at knowing how to build businesses. And, you know, as as I'm sure everybody listening to this show uh, will will know and appreciate is that, you know, there's so much involved in in running a business and doing it successfully. Um, it's great to be good at what you do, and maybe if you're good at it, you're probably good at selling what you do then because you can talk about it, even if even if you don't consider yourself a salesperson, you know you're just the expert, you talk about what you do, people buy into you. Um, but you know you you get over the, some of these thresholds that you know we were sort of touching on earlier. Um, and and the problems for the company change you know, like running a, a, a $2 million business is very different to how you're gonna be running as a startup, um, you know, and, and I think once again, you get up to sort of five, six, even 10 mil then, you know, the business has changed fundamentally again. And, you know, one of the most common things I hear from a lot of entrepreneurs, business owners, is that, you know, God, I spent all my time actually, like, you know, counseling people and, you know, dealing with people problems, as opposed to the, the things I used to do, which I enjoyed. Um and, and in actual fact, one of the things I, I kind of admire is is seeing those business owners who have enough emotional intelligence to be able to acknowledge, and 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 maybe not so much in the ego column, where they sort of go, you know, I actually don't want to be the man. I don't want to be the guy running this place. I I, I don't enjoy that. Um, I had one chap who was in sort of technical audio space too, and he said, look, I, I just like nerding out on my equipment and i'll talk i like talking to clients about this stuff yeah fix the solution recommend stuff you know install things he goes i love playing with that sort of stuff so he hired a ceo he just said mate you you like all that stuff go do it (laughs) i'll be over here in the back room tinkering with my toys (laughs) you know
0: i actually had a a a young lady here in town that actually owned a, a business networking company and i won't say the name um unfortunately she's gone too now but uh she got really mad at me one day cause she asked me where I seen her business in four years. And I said, exactly where it's at right now. And she said, what, mm. you know, she was very coaching. Like she always likes to coach others. And I said, you asked me a, you know, a direct question and I answered it directly. And then she said, why do you think it's where it's going to be right now? I said, cause you don't have the capacity to take it to the next level. You won't let the reins loose. And mm. you know, you're at that threshold where you're going to hit a, you know, a certain number and you're just not going to go past that. Right. Mm. The, it takes a different individual to create a startup start sh- do the shoestring budget, raise money, do all that stuff, you know, and tough it out than it is to take, you know, and take that company to the first million. And then I don't know if millions is the exact number, but there's a number somewhere in there that it actually shifts gears. You end up being a CEO, a coach, an advisor to your staff. That's a different human being. And you if you watch how the VC you know, the venture capitalists do it. They switch these people out. The guy that shoestrings it, raises the money, does the official thing, isn't the same guy that takes it from five million to ten million and then the different guy from ten million. It's a different set of skill set. And often it needs to be a different individual. And yes. you know, a lot of these small businesses, even if they have made that five million dollars, it was painful for them because they want to go back to doing what they, <laughs> you know, were good at. And yes. I like your guy there that says, you know, he hired a CEO and stuff, because that's exactly you know the right thing to do. You, you you figure out what your wheelhouse is. You stay inside of your wheelhouse, and you bring other people. You can still own the place, but yeah, yeah a lot yeah. of people don't ever have the foresight to, or the um, I guess you would say the ego. You know the uh, their ego gets in their way to 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 be told what to do by somebody else in the
1: company that they own, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, look, yeah, so I think it's a brave CEO who starts trying to boss the, the guy who owns the business around too much. But I, I actually just think that when I say ego, I, 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 it might be a little bit harsh, but it's, it's more that people kind of struggle to let go. They struggle to not be seen as the guy who has, you know, I'm the owner and everyone looks to me, well, I need to kind of keep being this guy who's making the decisions and doing everything. And, um, you know, they don't, or, or they simply perceive that nobody else can do the job better than them. And you know, boy, is that uh boy? Is that kidding yourself, right? Like, there's always somebody better. <laughs> always,
0: <laughs> funny always, how- always. There's only one yeah. number one, and I'm pretty sure you're not it.
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've always said to my kids, you know, like it's and it's the same lessons. It's, it's funny how these sort of things translate. But well, there's always somebody who's going to be bigger, stronger, and faster. So if you if you're going to try and play on those those merits. Like we say in business, there's always going to be somebody who's cheaper than you. So if you want to just play on price, you're going to get hurt. Um, so, you know, you've got to think about how to be different. You've got to think about how to find that niche, how to play your hands to the best of your ability. Um, and I think look to that end. I mean, you know, don't assume that you've have all the answers don't assume that you should have all the answers you know that's that's why the entire coaching world exists that's why we work in teams right it's um you're going to be good at some stuff and you're going to suck at some things so work that out and you know stick to your knitting <laughs> awesome so let's jump right into
0: like a we've talked about a little bit about like what it takes to be an entrepreneur what it takes to like start that business the kind of that cycle the men- mentality of a like starting versus buying you bought mm-hmm. it you're, you're, it's growing, and you've made the decision, and you're starting to th- lean towards making a decision that you would like an exit for one reason or another. Want to retire? Want the windfall? You, you, you're looking, you're looking to do something else, right? Yep. What, what, what would be the, some of the questions you ask the seller when, like, they call you, and say, "Hey, I'm thinking about selling my business." You know, where yep. do you start? At you know, uh, you know, you, the Google Map, right? That you are here. Yep. How do you determine yep. where they're at?
1: Yeah. Look, I think a lot of it starts with a question of, you know, well, why are you thinking of selling? Of course. And, you know, but really what do you want to be doing next? You know, if you, I, I, look, sometimes it's people are just burnt out. They're just tired. They haven't thought about what they want to do next. Um, that That's a bit of a red flag for me. Um, you know, I, I use the example of my father-in-law here who, who I love dearly. He's a beautiful man one of the most generous and caring people I know. And he, he's a doctor. Um, it's, he's always been a doctor. he, Comes from India, he worked his way out of the village, they had nothing, he fought his way into university, got qualified, came to Australia, and has built an extraordinarily beautiful and successful life. Um, But the guy doesn't know how to do anything else other than being a doctor. Um, Like it's his hobby, it's his life, it's his other family. and he's he's literally talking about retiring. He's still practicing. He's 82 years old, um, and he's and he can't let go, right? So, and, and the big question for him is, he doesn't know what he's going to do if he stops, and and that that is a red flag. Like you, if you get, I guess, if your your business life and your personal persona, your perception of yourself, um, become too intertwined and <clears throat> intermeshed what does that, I found that people can sometimes be questioning their sense of self worth if they no longer are attached to that role in that business. And, and that's, that's not a good mental health, you know, healthy place to be mentally. Um,
0: But a lot of people, a a lot of people identify as entrepreneurs, like as a lot of entrepreneurs, part of our identity is what we're up to. Right. If you ask somebody who are you and you know, like, you know, I'm a podcaster and acquisition entrepreneur, you know, I, I might, it, it depends on if it was a business setting or a personal setting. I tell you, I'm a father, you know, and, and, and a husband. Yeah. And then like, you know, but a lot of it's, it's natural for us to tie a lot of our identity to, I mean, we spend a lot of hours inside of these business. They become our babies yeah. kind of thing. Just another one for of our sure. kids. So, you know, there is something like that. I've, I've got a business owner here in town right now who has a beautiful soap company. I like to have my hands on his wife wants him to sell. His friends want him to sell. He's in his seventies. He just had a stint put in a vein in his neck because he didn't want to have a stroke and he had a blockage. Right. And I asked him, so what, what's stopping you from selling the company and just spending some time at that brand new lake house you built, right? Over on that beautiful lake house you just built with your wife. That's what she wants. He goes, he just blatantly told me, he said, all my friends that sold their businesses retired, died within a few months. I'm not ready to die. He honestly, you know, relates to once he's done with this, he doesn't have a purpose. And yeah. uh, so, you know, got some good ideas on how to do that, maybe keeping them involved a couple days a week or something like that. And I'm, I'm going to reapproach the topic. But, you know, people yeah. really do tie their identity to a sense of purpose and almost sense of self-worth yes. to what they've created. And so how yeah. do you address that inside of your, like, you've got an advisory service, you,
1: you, you must have to address that somehow. Yeah, look, absolutely. And it's and obviously there's different routes for different people depending on, you know, we're all we're obviously unique and our situations are unique, even though many of the problems are the same. Um, you know, I think I think there's a couple of different ways to approach that too. First of all, you know, back to what we were saying earlier about the 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 amount of time it can take to actually exit and exit properly. Um, you know, if, if I valued your business today and it met your financial goals, okay, well, great. Well then you you know, you are in a position to start engaging a sale process, right? But I always say to my clients, to run the process, you tell me to start now, you've got to give me 12 months. Um, now, okay, there's a possibility I might sell it in six to nine, but at the end of the day, allow for 12 because I've sold them in two months, but I've sold them in 18 months and somewhere in the middle is probably what happens on an average, right? So, so allowing your mind that there's a 12-month process of selling. Now, if the deal we get requires you to hang around for a little while and, you know, hopefully there's no earnout. But if there is an earnout, you might be stuck in that business for another one, two, three years. Um, so all of a sudden, this, this ramp here or this, this actual exit point where you are no longer engaged in the day-to-day could be four years long. That's a fair amount of time to start thinking about what else you want to do with your life. Um, now, of course, if your valuation doesn't meet your expectations, well, then we need even more time to, to make those changes, right? And, and classically, by the way, you know, we, we talk to a lot of people about where they're in that situation seven years, you know, you actually need if you're going to do a strategic shift in your business, you need three years, a year, a year to evolve it and start implementing it, a year to get the traction and get the runs on the board and then usually a year to get the returns on that. Right. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of stuff there that people need to consider and a lot of time that, that it can take. Of course, the other part to this, Ron, is is it's It's important to get to the heart of what they actually love about what they do. and And you know I, I find invariably that there is an element of their helping other people um, in some way, shape, or form, right? and And so I think once they can start to narrow down, you know a, what is it that actually gives me that positive energy feeling, and you know b, what what is the actual mechanics around that as as to what I'm doing? Um, you can start to say, well, you know, you, you can get that doing these other stuff over here, right? And, and, and which is why I think you see so many entrepreneurs who do exit going on to doing coaching and mentoring and volunteering on boards and stuff like that. You know, boards aren't for everybody, um, especially formal boards these days. I mean, I've, I've sat on formal boards and, you know, it's Kind of sometimes feels like it's taking the fun out of business. Um, <laughs> um, you know, it's and and I think there's an entire cottage industry these days about boards and governance and you know people overcooking how how to do things uh, on that front. If, if you ask me, but um, yeah, you know, if you enjoy helping people, well, go and help people. And you know what, if you sell this business properly for, for the right kind of returns maybe money's not such a pressure on you for a year or two and you know you can you know give your skills away give your time away volunteer at a few things and just go and help a few other people it's it it will change your perspective it'll it'll give you that kind of sense of purpose that we need to feel fulfilled um, so that's, that's a big part of it
0: so you've talked to the business owner you figured out that they're you're trying to figure out what moves their needle for them right what excites them yeah. You start looking at that, trying of find find things for them to do. What's the next thing you got to look at? You, you, now you know they're gearing towards. Okay, they've got a purpose for selling. They've got something to do afterwards. Yeah. What What's the next?
1: Well, well timing, of course, is a big factor in this, and I know sort of they inter, it's intermeshed with that whole valuation piece. But you know, it's funny because I've had clients who say to me, "I must finish on this date in one year, eighteen months, two years, whatever. Right? If I don't finish on that day, my wife will kill me." So I'm, you know, (laughs) so there is a hard drop, you know, as you you may say. But for other people, you know, of course, time is a little bit more fluid because it's more value driven. But um, how long do you want to keep doing what you're doing is the big critical question. How long do you want to keep owning this asset is another one. Um, You know, one of the the things I, I hear a bit, Ron, is... Um, because you know, exit means different things to different people, right? You could exit by selling, but you could, could exit the day-to-day management of the business and start doing more succession and, and hang on to the asset, um, which can work for some people. But in a lot of cases too, yeah, the amount of times I've heard, oh, my accountant thinks I'm mad for wanting to sell this. This thing's a cash cow and it's so great and the accountant thinks it's brilliant and blah, 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 blah.
0: Best time to but sell. Think,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely right. So we're looking for. It? What, yeah, and what kind of tips them over a little bit is that when you scratch below the surface and you realise that that business represents seventy percent of their entire net worth, you, you know any I and mean, here's the old investment advisor in me coming out again, but you know a, any basic investment advisor who just got out of university would tell you diversification is pretty damn important. You know you don't want seventy percent of your wealth tied to one asset. Um, you know so so you've got to think about. Well, if it is tied to that asset, do I really want to step out and just hand that responsibility to somebody else? Do I even feel confident those people can run it as well as me? Well, there goes that ego thing again. Um, you know, so there's there's a lot of fundamental questions there, and I think business owners start to see their business as that, you know, as an asset, not them, um, and and start to have a very different perspective on how some of that stuff should be managed. Um, so. So, yeah, so look, you know, valuation, timing, you know, we touched a little bit on legacy at the beginning of of the show here. Um, You know, legacy to me, you know, used to mean uh, it's Bedard & Sons, you know, our name's on the door and, you know, I'm worried if I sell this company, what are they going to be doing in my name, you know? um, Like that doesn't happen as much these days. It does a little bit, but I, I kind of think modern day legacy is more about, you know, what do people kind of say and think about you when you've left the room? And, uh, and, and, you know, typically if we look around us, you know, who are the people that are important to us? Well, they're usually the people we spend the most time with. So that, that actually might be some of our key suppliers. It could be some key customers. It certainly could be some employees. You've got your friends and other people around you as well. Um, you know, it's thinking about what kind of legacy you're leaving as you start to exit um, can be and has been for some of my clients the most important driver. Um, To the point where I had one client who accepted the lowest of three offers because he felt the buyer respected the legacy, would continue to run the business in a way they thought was appropriate and taking it in the right direction. Um,
0: (laughs) I've interviewed uh, quite a few people for the podcast, but uh, we were involved in a pretty good size roll up and interviewed over 200 business owners inside of that. Some of them had already exited. And I tell you right now, when I hear somebody's exited, I always ask, well, did you take the highest and best offer? And I would say less than 5% say yes. Usually they take the offer that, you know, one of them, uh, here's a great one. One of them, he inherited his father's business. He knew he didn't want to run it. He kept it going long enough to clean up some things and sell it. And he, he was more concerned. His father, I think it was like his second or third generation business. His grandfather might've created it, but they had employees there that have been there. Like the second generation, their, their father worked there. Now the kid works there. And he was yeah. more concerned about that legacy. How are my people going to be get taken care of than yeah. he was, you know, about that. And he actually selected a, a, the lowest of three bidders because the guy was willing to put 50% of the company or 49% of the company in employee stock option plan, give it, you know, wow. put it into the employees and have them drive it. And, uh yeah. um, like that was brilliant because I honestly think there's, you know, I, I'm, this is just rough numbers of what I've seen so far. I would imagine that the dollar figure is less important to the majority of small to medium business owners. If you're not trying to sell the private equity, if you're not above the $10 million and have a board, right, where you have people to answer to, you're probably going to sell to who's going to take care of your employees, who's going to take care of the brand and and the customers and the suppliers who all count on you, right? You, you've yeah. built this kind of environment or ecosystem where people are counting on you to feed their families, to pay their medical yeah. bills, to to do everything, not just your employees, their suppliers, employees, your customers. You know, a lot of these companies are manufacturers or they're creating something that goes into another guy's product. So that whole company is dependent upon it. There's a, yeah. you know, I, I, I talk to acquisition entrepreneurs all the time. Like, well, how do I get the loan and what's the, how do I negotiate the number? And I was like, if you focus on that, you'll lose more, more deals than anything. Focus on the human being, hear their story, figure it out what it is they want. And I promise if you don't taint the conversation coming back to money on your own, if you just listen to them, chances are you're
1: going to get a better deal than just saying, hey, how much do you want? Let's see if we can get you there, right? So, Well, absolutely. And you never know. I mean, if you actually form enough of a connection, the the seller might actually even offer you some vendor finance for a while and help you out because they really want to sell the company to you. So, you know, it's spot on. Focus on the people first. Um, I always think this is an interesting topic because, you know, money, money's a motivator, right? We all, we all understand that, but, but kind of in a funny way, because, you know, and I, I there's a great, um, Ted talk by a guy, Dan Pink, if people haven't heard it, Dan Pink, um, what is it, uh, the, the, something about strange motivations of human behavior or something like that. It's, it's fascinating. Um, you know, it's it basically, you know, money, money motivates to a point, but once people actually have enough money. That they can take money off the table as a major issue. Actually, it drops down the ranks of priorities massively. Um, you know, after that, this sense of legacy and purpose and things like that are, are far more important to people. And by the way, that's for your employees as well, right? So, you know, in, employees value autonomy. They value, you know, things like mastery, getting better at things and feeling like they're improving and adding value, and fundamentally they're part of something that's bigger than themselves, right? You tick all those boxes you're going to have an amazing team that's going to drive a hell of a lot more value into your business too.
0: Yeah, I've also thought, uh, you know, there's some jobs out there you couldn't pay me to do. I mean, there's just, you couldn't, right? I, I'm getting old, like, I, you, couldn't, you couldn't pay me a million dollars a year to shovel hot asphalt in the hot sun. I'm old and, you know, I don't think I'd last long enough to use the money, right? So people, <laughs> you know, when people say everybody's money motivated, and I, I agree with what you say, to a limit, right? There's a mm-hmm. spot where you go, at least anybody who's sane can look at it and go, you know what? Um, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm 50 yeah. years old. I'm not, you know, you couldn't pay me a million dollars to join the front line of the Marine Corps, right? Because uh, yeah. those guys get shot at. And I'm old enough. I don't. I, I know what happens when you get shot at. Especially a big fat guy like me. I get hit, right? Not <laughs> interested in that job at all. And I respect and love the people who are, but it's not me. Yeah. So yeah. if you look at, you know, this, the entire industry, the, uh, you know, of buying and selling companies, Here's an interesting thing, and you'll, you'll probably agree with it. There's tiers here, right? There's the tiers that are probably too small that you—I don't know where you start working with people, but you're a sole operator. You're making—I don't know—six figures, not you know, million dollars or less. And if you leave, it's, you're in trouble. And they're not making hmm. quite enough to, to hire the replacement, right? Um, those need to push through to grow to the point where they have enough employees that somebody else can run it. And then there's, yep. there's a tier where. You're probably in that one million to say probably five, six, seven million dollar range where you got team, you got process, you're doing good. You could probably bring in a CEO, watch what they're doing. And then you get a spot where, you know, you get in above that ten to fifteen million dollar mark, you're starting to attract private equity and strategic purchases. Now money becomes more of a factor because you've distanced yourself further back. So when I talk to those guys, they're more interested in because because they have boards and they have uh shareholder, you know, people on their team own equity and stuff, the numbers start to become a lot more important uh, the higher up you go. And I would say after you get probably past the 25 million in revenue mark, you're, you're negotiating, you know, uh, quite a bit of on the number side as, as, as much as you would be on the legacy
1: and, and team side. Yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, look, absolutely. It's, um you know, one of my clients, they, they, um, they're up in that sort of twenty five thirty turnover space. Um, funnily, you know you talk about the people and the relationships like they were struggling to make changes in the business because in in and I'm paraphrasing, but you know words to the effect of how am I meant to go and change the way I, like m- half the people in this you know building have worked with us for 20, 30 years. they came to my wedding. How am I meant to start to, sort of putting KPIs and stuff around them and all this stuff? like it's just a different it's just a different relationship now. I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I've gone too far down this path, you know? It's like, and, I, and, and I get that, right? Change, change can be difficult, but you know, to, to your point about money and, and the different types of people coming in, I mean, it's, I think one thing when you get to businesses of that size is that you, you tend to, scale brings value, all right? Um, you can have two companies that do exactly the same thing. One turns over 2 million, one turns over 20 million the 20 million is getting a better better offer right it's and it's Absolutely. not just because yeah, you're multiplying a bigger profit number put the profit aside what's the multiple of that profit the bigger company gets a better multiple because scale matters um, and you have so
0: attracted institutional money at that scale right you know yeah. they're getting a higher multiple because they're getting a price to earnings ratio of 30 or something so paying you 12x isn't unheard of where you know if you're in that one to five million dollar revenue, less than a million and a half in EBITDA, you're probably in that. Depending on, I guess, the industry matters, but between one and a half to three x is kind of overall standard here in the United States, unless your software as a service. And there's a few outliers. There's some crazy yeah, industries yeah, yeah. out there, right? So. Yeah,
1: yeah. Look, don't give a lot on SaaS. I'm still trying to understand how anybody makes money buying a business at you know twelve times revenue. <laughs> So, anyway, i had it's, somebody it's, it's, ask me the other day for 30
0: <laughs> he wanted 30 times revenue and he's like well i'm growing it i'm growing at 30 percent year over year and you're like and i've got you know this and that and like i'm not putting my money into anything that i if i leave it the way it is it takes me 30 years to get my money back i'm 50
1: right <laughs> and that's revenue not profit
0: <laughs> exactly exactly and i was like you know, and that's what is like it's just insane what some of the stuff is but um yeah. we're, we're at we're at the at about the 50 minute mark. I want to make sure that people, if you're listening there, we've got his uh his contact information on the screen. It'll be in the show notes But on LinkedIn, uh you can find him. It's actually uh the LinkedIn uh uh address is LinkedIn.com slash in slash business sales Sydney. So it's business dash or hyphen sales dash uh sydney and that's how you find him as the direct link it'll be in the show notes uh you also he also runs a great show i listened to a little bit of it myself a couple of them just to see funny is uh when my team said hey let's put this guy on here i was like yeah i don't do brokers and advisors very often because like you said earlier not all of them are like And i started listening like no he's passionate about this and he's in here for a reason so uh i, I jumped on board pretty quickly when they told me no you know They've listened. My team was like, "No, we've listened to some of the stuff. He he's passionate about it. He he he's out there making a difference, and he's not your average broker just wanting a listing fee." So, uh, yeah. But you you actually have the podcast Buy Grow Sell, and that's by growsell.com. I'm happy to send listeners over there to listen to your stuff too. Yeah, um, you. Before we wrap this up, I know you have another meeting you got to get to and stuff. What would be like your top three like points you want to make sure that people know if you're you're looking at Selling a business, you're thinking about hiring an advisor such as yourself. You know, what are the three? You know, if you could pick three key uh, key takeaways for them to to, to head, start that path right, what would they be?
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, um, if anyone's listened to Simon Sinek, you know he talks a lot about your why, right? Um, you know, this this exit, this ideal state you want to be in, is your why, right? So think deeply about what's important to you. You know, get that part right because. You know, you may not be able to say, I want to exit my business on the 25th of, you know, November in this year with this amount of money. Like, it's very hard to be that specific. But man, if you don't know whether you should be heading north or south, you've got a problem, all right? Like, there's some serious directional kind of things to start, start high level, make sure your nose is pointed in the right direction, and then you start, you'll start refining as you go through your journey. So that's, that's a really important thing to start with, and it's got nothing to do with the way you're running your business today. Um, once you understand kind of where you want to end, then we start working backwards, right? Now, if you need to grow and you need to grow significantly, well, here's another really fundamentally easy kind of thing to get your head around. There's only two things you can do to grow. You either build or you buy. Now, there's another whole podcast around why buying is is can make a lot more sense than building um certainly right now in the environment we're in at the moment the entire world feels like it's shifted towards buying at the moment because you know i could spend a lot of money bashing my head against competitors and having to drop my prices and compete and maybe i win business or i will just spend the money up front and take them out and reduce competitiveness and improve my pricing and improve my positioning so you know well there's there's the 101 lesson on why you buy over build but you know Get where your end game. Understand your end game. Then we create a strategy to get there. Right, and and look. Ultimately, if you do decide to sell, this is this is one thing. If if people listening to this are thinking of selling a business one day, if you all you remember is one thing from my talk, please remember this: don't run with the first guy who comes and taps you on the shoulder. Right, the first person that comes and taps you on the shoulder, typically speaking. They do this a lot. If you're selling your first business, trust me, you are playing for the under 13 soccer team and you've just run out for a World Cup match. You are not going to be able to compete. And do you know what? Often it comes along as a, oh, I know this guy. You know, I've known this guy from the industry or through these groups. Yeah, we kind of know each other. He's a nice guy or he's a nice girl, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah, no, this is, this, is, this is friendly. Oh, well, let's explore it. You know, first of all, there goes the ego again. Somebody's interested in buying my business. Don't I feel fabulous? And this feels good, man. People, people want me. I'm desirable. And so they start going down this process of, oh, well, let's have a bit of a chat. Or maybe could you, maybe, could you send me a few financials? And oh, well, let's sign an NDA, but send me some stuff. And I'll have a bit of a look. And then we can have a chat. And then they have a bit more of a chat. they have a bit more of a chat and they keep asking for more information and then listen i want to bring somebody in my team and you're going well this is making progress they're getting people involved this is starting to happen you know and and somewhere deep in the back of your mind you're starting to spend that money it's starting to feel real good right (laughs) so you know and then unfortunately what happens in many many cases is that you will wake up one day it's now nine to 12 months down the track. You're sitting in a room with a bunch of people who you don't actually recognize and there's lawyers and accountants and there's all this sort of stuff. And that lovely person, by the way, that reached out to you that you felt that human connection with, like they're not even actually really in the process anymore. They're kind of off doing their thing. But you know, you're know, you getting squeezed in every possible different direction. You're tired, you're over it. You just want to get the deal done and that's when the lowball offer comes. All right? This is corporate M&A 101. And the, and the fundamental lesson here is If you want to sell your business, you better have a nice, solid, robust process that you put buyers through because if you don't put them through your process, they will put you through theirs, which is fundamentally designed to get them a better outcome.
0: I promise you acquisition entrepreneurs out there have a process, right? I have a checklist process on an Asana board that walks people through things. We have a team, right? I have team members I can pull in that are accountants. I have forensic accountants. If your books look a mess, bonus for me if I still like your business, because I have a forensic accountant that can, you know, a forensic CPA that can look through it and tell me if she can put it back together. If she says she can put it back together, I'm still interested. You're going to get a lower price, right? You know, yep. we, we put together teams. That's how we do this. If you don't, I, I agree with you 100%. If you're thinking about selling and you don't build a team around you on preparing your business to sell yeah. and representing you in that process, I'm not a vulture because I, I like I just turned a guy down the other day because he's just yeah. not ready to sell. But there are guys out there that are going to take advantage of you. I just I, I told a, a three million dollar you know company uh, two three weeks ago. I was like, look, you say you want to sell your business, you're just frustrated. You're going through a divorce. You're going through a lot of financial stuff. You know, you need to go work yeah. on that first. And I think when you do, you're going to realize that you got something you 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 wish you hadn't wish you hadn't have sold. Right? Yeah. Uh, plus it was really wrapped around him, six employees. He was the only sales guy kind of thing. But, uh, you know, I, I seen him as a serial entrepreneur. And the reason I I didn't do it, you know, there's a reason I looked a lot. I played the long game all the time when he sells me that. I know this is the third business he created. I'm wanting to go create yeah. the next one, raise it up to four or $5 million. And when he's b- bored of it, I want him to bring it to me. I can't do that. If, he's, if I burned him on the last one, right?
1: No, look, exactly right. And, and, and I should say, right? Like not every acquisition goes, lots of people have been tapped on the shoulder and they do do a successful transaction and it goes very well, but there is also a lot of people that just get put through the ringer. And, you know, like, like us sitting here on, like, I mean, I'd be absolutely comfortable to do business with you. Cause I know that fundamentally you're a good human, right? Like yeah. it's. The, the issue is, is that without being able to go out and get to know the world out there, the best way you mitigate risks and factors is to have structure, to have a process, to have advisors, put yourself in the best position to be able to screen things as they're coming through. And look, once again, I mean, I still think if you really are serious about selling, then set up a process and run the process. Don't don't just wait for chance or wait for the proverbial tap on the shoulder because it may not come. And if it does come, it may not be the tap you want. So, you know, take, take control, take ownership of it, create a plan, get the right team around you and, 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 t- and aim for it. Um, you may not land where you want to land. You're right. No, no plan ever survives the first day of battle. Right. But yeah. at the end of the day, if you're not planning, you're not working towards it, then you're just leaving things to chance. And that's not a way to run a business. Certainly not a way to finish your marathon or relay that we, we call life and business.
0: I think uh, the famous quote. I'm going to butcher it. So if you're listening to this, please don't punch me. Mike Tyson said, "Yeah, everybody has a plan until I hit them in the face." Right. So, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know,
1: everybody's plan until they get punched in the nose. Right. Everybody's got a
0: <laughs> I, I taught martial arts and hand to hand combat for years. I've been in the ring a few times. Everybody's got a plan until somebody rattles your cage. And then, yeah. then, then you go yeah. back to your corner and go, "Hey, the plan isn't working. We got to, <laughs> we got to do <laughs> something here." So uh hey we're at we're at the top of the hour. I, I do want to represent you know uh you know keep our listeners to be able to you know if you got your hour commute I want you to be able to listen to this on the on the uh on the way. I appreciate everything you said. I think you and I could talk for hours on this subject. Um is there any parting uh questions or any parting uh statements you want to
1: give real quick? Uh look, you know, I I, I think we'd probably tried to sort of wax lyrical here about a few things. What I would say is if if you're anything like me, you'll probably have more questions down the track when you're having a glass of wine or something like that. Feel free to reach out. Like LinkedIn is your friend here. Please feel free to reach out and connect with me. Um, I certainly invite connections from people. Do me a favor though, and please don't just send a connection request. Send me a little message in there and just say that you actually heard me on this podcast because I'll have a little bit of context and that just helps us like connect and actually, you know, form some kind of connection relationship there. So that I would be very appreciative of. Um, otherwise, you know, if you've just got a question, you want to fire something over to me, I'll look, I'm happy to help after that.
0: Awesome. And I appreciate it. Well, that's the show guys. Thank you for being on here. Uh, Simon Hang out for a second and we'll, uh, we'll finish this up. The investors and entrepreneurs professional mastermind. The Investors and Entrepreneurial Professional Mastermind combines the traditional peer-to-peer mastermind introduced first in Napoleon Hill's famous book, Think and Grow Rich. With accountability partnering, where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to TIEPM.com, that's T I E. PM.com and check out the Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind.